If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, So the weather and the seasons have changed, and the fish are moving into their fall rhythms. It's a good time to be alive. I hope you're getting out there and putting a pile of trout in the net lately. I'm Dominic Swintoski, owner of Trout Bitten and author of TroutBitten.com, where you can find... Over 700 articles with tactics, stories, and commentaries uh, about fishing for trout on a fly rod. Uh, Today, we are talking about fly fishing with the mono rig. This will be a good one. I have four of my closest fishing friends with me, whom we'll introduce in a moment. And we want to break down or sort of summarize the ultimate versatility of this amazing tool. The mono rig is a hybrid system for fishing all types of flies. Nymphs, both tight line and indicator styles streamers, dry dropper, wets, and small dry flies. Uh, With 20-pound monofilament as a fly line substitute, better contact, control, and strike detection are gained with the mono rig versus a traditional fly line approach. And yet, the casting here is still a fly line style cast. Ironically, it takes excellent fly casting skills to efficiently throw a mono rig. The mono rig is similar to tight line and uranymphing styles. However, it's a full system for fishing all fly types with and without indicators, with and without split shot. The mono rig is a very versatile tool, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Since 2014, I've written hundreds of articles on Troutbitten about the mono rig. Uh, many of them are in series form, so they read like chapters in a book. And in this podcast, there's no way we have time to explain it all. But that's not the goal today. Instead, what I'd like to do is highlight the versatility of a rig that every one of my friends here uses. We all fish similar mono rigs with some variation, and we all use it in different ways too. Some are slight and some are major. I'm sure we'll do more podcasts with this topic in the future, but by the end of this episode, I'd like you to have a full picture of what the mono rig really is 
and all of the things that you can do with it, all the options, all the versatility. All right, so let me introduce my friends and ask some questions. Uh, here's Austin Dando. How's it going, bud? Good, man. I got one for you. Hey, tell us about your worst fall-in ever. Oh, first one that comes to mind was uh, junior year of college. Um, was in a good-sized river and was crossing, uh, decided to cross it. I had a group of friends with me, and um, there's a, a bridge that went over the creek, and uh, it was high water, and they decided they would hike up the side of the hill and take the bridge across. And I decided that was too much, and I could probably get across on my own. So that's what I tried to do. And as I watched them cross over on the bridge, I uh, walked into a big rock I did not see <laughs> and took yep. a, a good crash <laughs> into the water. Uh, not total head under, <laughs> uh, but, you know, up to the neck. And um, I did not have a spare set of clothes. My friends were the ones who drove me there. They didn't want to go home. So what did I do? I took off my wool sweater and I made a fire on the island. And <laughs> no, I, you did. Yes. You burned your sweater. <laughs> well, no, I, uh, I dried it out. <laughs> I and, burned uh, his sweater. <laughs> I, I fished most of the rest of the day in a t-shirt because, okay. you know, my, my small island fire didn't uh, do a lot. Okay. Uh, that's great. Not, it wasn't that bad. It was more or less just a fun memory, I guess. That's a pretty, I mean, that's a bad fall in. Yeah. I mean, it was February. If you're building was, fires, yeah, to warm up, that's pretty bad. 30, it was 30 or less, but. Yeah, that's bad. That is a full fall in that's too. Yeah. And it, just to clarify, what do we what what's a fall in? What constitutes a fall in, guys? I think Bill made a good point one time when we were talking about it and he said something like, If you were on dry land, what would have happened? Would you have hit the floor or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think over your waders. Right. I mean that's I, it for I me. think if it's not over your waders, it's yeah, it's all it didn't yeah. Count. fair. No, but if I just count. put my hand exactly. down you lost right. if I get wet up to my elbow yeah. and yeah. I mean, I didn't fall in. Yeah, who cares? If you take no. in, if you take on water, <laughs> you just fell in. You just fell. In. <laughs> That's right. You just fell in. All right. <laughs> hey, good. Uh, here's Trevor Smith. Uh, what's up, Doctor Smith? How are we doing tonight? All right. Here's your question. Good. Is it a creek or a crick? No, it's a creek. I know. For yeah. you, it's a <laughs> creek. Okay, no, it's a creek. <laughs> Where'd you it's grow up? Where'd you grow up, Trevor? I see. I grew up in Warren, Pennsylvania, and and up there, it might be a crick. But I, Creek, Creek is what I grew up knowing. I, you know, I read books and, you know. <laughs> That's, I'm no, an educated the man. English language is not uh, that it's difficult a creek. to read. It's a creek. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm from the illiterate uh, Western Pennsylvania where we say creek. There you creek. go. Now, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, put me in deer camp for a couple of weeks. I'm like, it's a, a huge creek. <laughs> I'm a creek guy. I'm a creek guy. Uh, Trevor, have you thought about, you know, maybe changing your pronunciation? Nope. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I like creek. Creek, stream, river. There's no cricks in my yeah, vocabulary. Anyway. All right. So here's Josh Darling. Yeah. He's the uh, father of just a few days old, baby Fletcher Brooks Darling. Right. That's Congratulations, right. Yeah. my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, how's everything going over there? Real good. Not a lot of sleep, but real good. Right. Because how many other kids do you have? I have two other kids. <laughs> We got three. We got three under three right now. Mm. Oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah. See. Oh yeah. Nearly physically impossible. But <laughs> Somehow, where there's a will, yeah. where there's a will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're moving. <laughs> hey, Josh. Who or what is Houdini? Ah, uh, 
Go. I feel like someone put you up to this. <laughs> I know. Ready? Go. <laughs> All right. This is this is a night fishing story. Mm. It's a good one. If you want to hear more night fishing stories, listen to last week's episode on the yeah the 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 mouse. Emerge. What do we call it? Mouse the emerger, mouse emerger concept. Where you told us about Excalibur and yeah, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna tell the story, story of another namer tonight. Yeah, yeah. This is this is Austin Dan. Less flattering. Story. It is. It's certainly less flattering to me. Yeah. Uh, this is the story of Austin Dando's namer. So Trevor and I. Uh, this is last summer. Actually, Trevor and I were fishing often at night together, mm-hmm. and we convinced Austin to come with us. Uh, it was very late in the night. And we were fishing a spot that we had uh, particular confidence in. This was a spot that had that had had proven it held really good fish. Yeah, and the conditions were were thus that we expected some action. And so Austin and I waded in together, uh, really probably only thirty yards from each other, fishing pretty close. And um, I actually hooked, got into a, a pretty good fish. I was. I was fighting it and I was landing it when the water by Austin just erupted mm. and he, he hooked into a even bigger fish. Chaos yeah, yeah it, it was chaos. There was a lot of noise for a silent night because yeah. I had a big fish in the net and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Austin was hooping and hollering with a, yep. with a large fish on the end of his line. <laughs> nice. Yep. Rightly so. That's a, that's a feeling like not very many others yeah, right on. when you get, when, when that happens. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. Yeah, he got it netted, and we yep. we had already confirmed that mine was not a namer. So in the in the trout pit and crew, a namer is twenty four inches or bigger. Yeah, we had confirmed that mine was twenty two inches, two and which is twenty two inches is not something to to scoff at for sure. I was right. very happy with that, but we his was bigger, and we knew his was bigger, and we thought this this one might make the cut. So we were we got the measuring tape out real quick. We. I happen. I always have a measuring yeah, tape. Trevor carries the measuring tape. He's the he's the doctor. It's a mm-hmm. medical measuring That's tape. Right. <laughs> yep. Exactly. It is it accurate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Baby's head circumference <laughs> oh and gosh. the length of trout. So, so <laughs> yeah. Austin's fish was bigger, and so we actually wanted to swap nets because the net that we had netted Austin's fish in was was not quite big enough to to handle him, and so we swapped nets, and so the the net that that Austin's fish was in was in my hands and first we were getting mistake. ready to measure. So, right. That was the first, that was our first mistake. <laughs> 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 uh, so, so I, I lifted his fish out of the water and we got a measurement on him <laughs> mm. and it, it, it was like 24 on the dot. It was a namer. Mm. And in that moment, uh, Jealousy overtook me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but the, in that moment, he he uh, gained some life, got some spunk back, and made a move. And he uh, he got out of my hands. And it was man, it was a depressing moment. And but that was just for me because Austin did not realize what had what had happened because it's dark. Because right? he was looking down yeah. at the net that he was holding. Like I've still that's got the, my fish. That's the thing. Not realizing that my fish was in his net, and I had been holding his namer and so um i'm pretty sure that i suggested that his name be houdini (laughs) and so not only did i release his not only did i release his namer but i named it (laughs) and may i point out i I never actually touched the fish yeah this is true i land i hooked it trevor landed it you guys did something with it together and then josh let it go something with it you know, until tonight, I forgot you even caught it. Austin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, 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 Trevor, have you caught a namer at night yet? 
Oh, come on. Poor guy. I did it on one of my first tries. The wounds are raw. I think... I think in Austin, this was like one of your first times night fishing. So I, it sounds like jealousy could have been a factor here. Like maybe, maybe Trevor and Josh both conspired against listen, you. Yeah. Listen, I haven't caught a night namer and I put Austin in the best spot at the best uh, time yeah. of the night. So what, what is that? Selfless. What does that say? Yes. <laughs> I have no, exactly. I, I have no excuse. <laughs> but I, I remember looking up at Josh being like, oh, bummer, man, your fish got away. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. No, not what and happened. if you go, well, here, and then the, just to add insult to injury, right after that, yeah. Josh lifted his fish out of the water and took some nice pictures uh. with it. And I watched along the bank, and if you look at the wiggle and hang article, that is the fish that Josh caught on the cover. Yeah. And there's right. no but, picture of the right. Dean. It's like it never existed. Did you, did you catch it on the pen drag? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Neat. Right off the bank. So it was a fly that I tied too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he pretty it much have, tre- Trevor. No, Trevor may have. Hey, t- hey, I, I gave him. I gave him. I gave him a bunch yeah, of it pen very, It probably was Trevor. Yeah, Trevor outfitted me. He gave me a, yeah, like, a box full of flies. Yeah. <laughs> That's He's awesome. Like, Here's how we night fish. <laughs> no, <laughs> honestly, this is this is Could something you tie that. Could on for me, sir? <laughs> Austin was kind enough to forgive me. Well, we me waited for that. in the parking lot for about a half an hour for you to tie <laughs> his blood knots. Remember that? I don't. Forget, yeah. Yep. I think I even took some of your yeah. 10 pound maxima or whatever it was. I don't remember. That's right, pretty, yeah. Yeah. pretty thick rope. Yeah. This is something that I've needed to get off thick my chest. I feel like if the whole world knows about my, my yes. error, mm-hmm. then I can maybe I can get over it. Well, I knew a little bit about it, and then uh, a couple times ago when you and I fished, I had a decent fish on. You said, You want me to net that? I said, No, 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 I no, got no, 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 I got it. No, 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 <laughs> I, I got this. You will not come yeah. near my fish. <laughs> no, I know how they're really story good goes. at netting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how yeah, it goes. Yeah. See, I took care of that part. I did a good <laughs> job. No, Trevor's the hero in the story. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that was fun. <laughs> Absolutely, that was fun. I love it. Yep. Hey, uh, let's bring in Bill here. Hey, how many rivers and streams have you fished this year? I know you keep count. Ooh. So, so this year I decided to keep track. Um, kind of the the root of it was to try to force myself to fish new water and explore new streams. And so, uh, this year my count is up to 95 rivers hey and streams that I've fished. <laughs> that is a ton. Some are small, some are big, some I've caught fish out of. I think, I think all but about three or four of them I've actually caught fish mm-hmm. out of. It's not in, in search of big fish. I just, I like catching and learning new places where wild yeah. fish live. And I think that's mm. what drives a lot of the exploration. Right on. For like me. I've, I've known you long enough to know that you always kind of have something you're working on. Really? I, I think all of us are that way. I feel like I'm that way. And um, yeah, and that's how fishing, well, trout fishing for us kind of stays uh, stays fresh. And you just, there's always something to work on. There's always something new to learn and talk about with each other. I love it. All right, before we really dig into the versatility of the mono rig, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a few seconds. Fooling Mill is the world's leading producer of flies, fly boxes, hooks, beads, and tippets. Known for their barbless hooks, they have many of your favorite trout patterns tied barbless. Not only that, they feature patterns from anglers like George Daniel, Pat Weiss, Josh Miller, Joe Goodspeed, and many others from around the world. Every pattern is backed by the 200% fooling mill guarantee. If a fly isn't up to the highest standards that you expect, they will replace it with two that are. Stock up at foolingmill.com or ask for their flies at your local dealer. Okay guys. 
Let me start out by defining the terms a bit. In 2016, I wrote an article on Troutbitten titled The Mono Rig and Why Flyline Sucks. I truly thought I would get a wave of resistance uh, from the community, but the opposite was true. People were very hungry for this information and really receptive to some new ideas combined with old principles. They still are. And I think the fly fishing community is even more open and technically interested than ever before. So I've continued to write about the monorig a lot. I give presentations on the topic. I answer questions about it every day. There are hundreds of articles on the website, and I dare say Troutbitten sort of popularized the term monorig. I started writing about all this around the same time that Euronymphing became a big thing. And I think the monorig sort of gets thrown into that group of nymphing tactics. Uh, Czech, Polish, French, Spanish nymphing, and more. But there are differences in all of those. And importantly, I believe, the monorig is a more complete and more versatile system than any of these others because it kind of includes everything, which is what we're going to get to in our conversation, that versatility. Uh, someone once told me they thought I called it the mono rig because one rig could do it all. That's pretty good. But no, I simply call it a mono rig because uh, we use monofilament for the casting. I picked up the term from a Joe Humphreys book, Trout Tactics, where he writes about a mono rig in depth in multiple sections of his book. But Joe's rig is a bit different than mine. Uh, just like all the guys here have some, have some differences too. Notably, I added a cider to Humphrey's rig, and I'm pretty strict about having no taper under the water. Just 4X or just 5X, for example. So, that's a mono rig. It's a hybrid system for fishing all fly types, using a leader long enough uh, to keep the fly line on the spool out of the air, and out of the rod guides. Importantly, I use a 20-pound monofilament. Mine's Maxima Chameleon uh, for the long butt section. This piece does most of the work. It substitutes for a fly line, and it casts like a fly line, if you treat it that way. It has enough mass to cast itself and push flies to a target. The 20-pound mono has power. I mean, you can stand in the parking lot and cast my standard mono rig with no flies, making fly line style loops out to about 40 feet. And yet, because it's just a quarter of the weight of a standard four weight fly line, the mono rig sags way less. And that is the critical advantage. So this is not a system for lobbing weights around. You can set up a mono rig that way, but that is limiting. I do use a variety of rigs, some thinner, some with a longer taper at different times for different reasons. But what I call the trout bitten standard mono rig is a tool that allows me to take the tight line advantage to all fishing styles. So guys, uh, first of all, what styles do you fish with a mono rig? Gosh, it feels like pretty much all of them. Yeah. It, it very rarely, yeah. like it very yeah. rarely re- leaves my my line and the only exception is generally with a a, a hatch that is seems worthy of making the switch mm, yeah a hatch meaning dry flies yeah, on top yeah, yep. yeah rising yeah. trout sure yeah and one of the things i early kind of loved about the mono rig was it was something i could take into a hatch a day fishing in the spring in pennsylvania and fish nymphs and then transition into dry dropper or mm-hmm. dry flies and keep it the same rig on my line. Um, and like Josh, you know, really the only situation that I would switch over would be 
or longer casts that I wanted mm-hmm. to make, you know, I might pull off that mono rig and, and use fly line. But long longer cast is a good point, and I I should mention that this is not a system where you're gonna fish sixty feet away, fifty feet away. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no, probably not. Yeah, right. For totally. me, it's 25, 20, 25, 30 feet away. Thirty starting to push it. Thirty five is really yep. pushing it. Forty feet. Yep. On a, on streamers, and we'll get to all that. But no, you're not going to cast more than 40, 45 feet away. However, I don't want to. Even yeah. when I have fly line on, I rarely yeah. want or need to. Bill? Uh, one thing, you you talked about sag. And so I don't know if that's uh, self-explanatory, but the one point I want to make yeah. with the sag. So when the line sags, that weight, that weight will pull mm. back your flies. And so the weight of a fly line will pull the, if you're trying to nymph, the weight, the weight of that fly line, the sag is what's pulling the flies back to you in an un, a less natural drift. It's mm-hmm. not even just with nymphs. Yeah. I mean, it happens with dry flies. It, that sag hanging off your rod tip, as you just explained, yep. just pulls. It just pulls on the leader, which then pulls on, yeah. on, on the flies. Yeah. It, it's a problem. Even drag in the water, yeah. You yeah. know, if you've ever cast dry flies on the monorig, you notice that the currents have a lot less impact on that 20-pound maxima than they do on a standard right. drive, you know, sure. floating fly right. line. I think, too, one of the things yeah. I like about it is when you try to fish other leaders um, for one thing all day that incorporates fly line, there's a certain amount of sacrifice that goes into each style. Yeah, And when you eliminate the uh, fly line itself you kind of also eliminate some of those sacrifices. So you can fish a streamer and a nymph on the same butt section mm. and just make small adjustments to your uh, like terminal tippet or something, and that's all you have to do. That's nice. Um, but if you're the other way around, then there's yeah. a lot more work involved in changing, and it kind, of, uh, it kind of eliminates some of those things. That's awesome. We should talk about some of those Absolutely. changes in a bit. Yeah. We'll talk about, we're going to talk about, jump into styles here in a little bit, all the different ways that we like to use it. Like you said, you keep the, the the changes easy. Yep, absolutely. And I would toss in the streamer. I I honestly think it's the best the best wade fishing line to use for streamers, mm-hmm. just with the ability to stay out of seams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, by far my favorite. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm sure we'll we're gonna dig into the streamers here in a little bit. the The thing for me is all the benefits of contact and therefore control over your over your nymph which is so many people people tight line nymphs they've been doing, doing been doing it for years and euro nymphing is very popular euro nymphing really is is tight line nymphing with nothing else attached to the leader that means just the flies so there's no split shot euro nymphing means there is no indicator there can never really be an indicator if you're euro nymphing if you are uh, maybe throw in a yarn indie or you attach a thingamabob or something like that you're no longer technically you're nymphing. I mean, who cares what you call it? But technically, you're not. Um, and so, all these you're nymphing is very popular. And yet, like Bill's saying, you can take that contact and tr- and control now. All the same benefits transfer very, very well over to streamers, and I love it. Yeah. So you you guys kind of I think you're like me. I mean, you kind of do everything with it, you know. So guys, will you, will you tell me though what you like to use for your monorig butt section? Because uh, the butt section here really does the majority of the work. It functions like a fly line. And sure, the taper matters. And if you have a longer taper, okay, you know, we talk about that. 
taper and the cider and the, and the, and the tippet matters. But really, what's doing most of the work is what you are using for your butt section. What do you guys use? I think I'm the outlier. I like the the thirty <laughs> yeah, pound OPST laser line. Mm-hmm. Um, the visibility of it for me outweighs the uh, extra stiffness that comes with the maximal leader. Mm-hmm. And so fishing smaller streams and getting stuck in trees occasionally, <laughs> and just just the visibility of it to see where that line is, the where it's traveling to. Um, I, I prefer to have something that's more visible. Mm. I use the, uh, red amnesia, the amnesia. Yeah. You were on. Yeah. I used the amnesia amnesia for a while. I used the amnesia for, yeah, I was on it for a while. And then I started to use the laser line and laser line just seems to, to cat. It's it. I don't know if it has a, I want to say it feels like it has a Mm. finish on it or something that just makes it. It it handles better. It does. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the winter time, Bill? I don't have much problems with it. I, I guess yeah. maybe I stretch it a lot or... Yeah, you're um, doing something. Because I kind of got away from OPST because of the cold weather performance. I felt like it It was hard to, for me to get the coils out of it. Bill's got a secret to stretching it. Yeah, and keeping it stretched hard. Stronger muscles. <laughs> yeah. That's right. He's just there stronger you than you. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. Simple. Fish it yeah. more. You know, you got to get it out there. Yeah. You get used to the cold. Oh. <laughs> it up a bit. Break it in. That's a good point. <laughs> I, I like to fish Maxima Chameleon as my my base. Um, I, I do have a few spools of the Cortland Euro nymphing leader yeah. material, and I've yeah, and I've been using that a lot uh, for my butt sections as well. So I interchange that a fair amount, um, and I use the Euro nymphing Cortland material for my night mm-hmm. leaders a lot as well. But I, I like both. It, both are great. I do wish that the Cortland stuff came in a more visible color. Either one, if Maxima or uh, Cortland would throw just a little bit of tint in either in those materials, you'd have kind of the perfect uh, the perfect yep. butt section material for what I'm looking for. Um, Maxima makes yeah. a high vis yellow, and they say it should. I mean, uh, it should function just like the chameleon, but it doesn't. It holds a coil more. You know, it's yeah, a little stiff. Yeah. I I've been using it yep. for a transition section actually, so it kind of uh, extends my cider section really. But, I really wonder what colors sure. would, would not do that. Like, I well, know. It'd be I, really interesting to do a test like that I if know. we had the ability. Someday we're going to have trout bitten leaders and going to do all the <laughs> testing know. to figure out what color, what dye has like the least that. impact like on that. the structural mm-hmm. integrity. It seems like when... Red. Right, red and I orange. Agree, because yeah. it seems like the yellow and greenish uh, lines that we use uh, tend to get stiffer and hold a coil more, especially in cold water. And you seem to be get, be able to get away with it more. Uh, well, less coil, like Trevor said, red and orange lines. But <laughs> yeah, maybe someday we'll have some trout bitten uh, butt section material. A- anything yeah. else? Anything else? Yeah. You using anything else, guys? Is everybody on thicker line, or you you use thinner leaders? I was going to say I uh, I generally fish the twenty pound just because by nature I change tactics so often that I like the backbone and the, yeah. uh, the ability to turn over flies with the twenty pound, but. If I know that all I'm going to do is tight line nymph all day, um, I like to use a bit lighter. You know, 15 is really nice. Uh-huh. You can definitely tell a, bit, uh, mm-hmm. a pretty sizable yeah. difference. You know, five is super light. Well, Five's a little light for me. Um, what's the difference, right? though? Will you tell us what the difference is? Yeah, so, like, you can notice it, um, especially in the casting stroke. Um, there's there's mm-hmm. less weight yeah. uh, involved in the casting stroke. And also, when you find yourself casting further, 
the drag and the sag that yeah. occurs is very noticeable. I mean, it's very obvious. Um, yeah. If you mm-hmm. take the two and fish them side by side, you're like, ooh, yeah. I don't think it would be this much. I know, right? Um, but that's definitely the case. And you know, it can be yeah. tempting to fish uh, much further away from yourself when you have that lighter line. It on. is. Um, and is that always but, a good thing? You know, Right, exactly. Right? So it has its pros and cons mm-hmm. that you have to always keep running in the back of your head. Yeah, there's a huge difference in sag between 20-pound yeah. monofilament and 10. Or sometimes I even go down to 5, what I call a microliter. Yeah. And um, I don't prefer that micro. I don't I don't prefer the thin. But they both give you a different advantage, and I fish them at different times. For sure. I'll yeah. say one more, bring up one more thing here. I keep my butt section long enough to keep all the knots out of the guides. and Maybe that's something unique yeah. to me. But I want to be able to shoot line. So I know some friends... Uh, who have, who build long tapers, you know, you know, a butt section and th- then their taper that is 10 feet and that will absolutely have knots in your guides. And I don't care how clean you tie a blood knot. I don't care if you put, put UV knot sets on that and cure it perfectly. It, I'm not even going to say it hangs up in the guide, guides, but it stutters a bit in the guides. And if you're trying to do the, the versatile things that we're talking about, like throwing streamers and throwing indicator rigs sometimes at distance, those little stutters in the guides are not only annoying to me, but they will hold you back a little bit. Yeah, they're like speed bumps for your casting uh, stroke. <laughs> that's a great, that's yeah. a great way to put it. I hate them. <laughs> if I want to cast, like I probably over, overdo the, the mono rig mm-hmm. and put, you know, 50, oh, wow. 60, That's a lot. 70 yeah. feet on because, you know, eventually it's going to wear out and then I'll just cut it off and have the next section <laughs> readily available. But I re- I just, I despise that, that not hitting through the guides. Me I just too. Think it, I think it's extremely con- constricts your casting length. So with that amount on, Bill, are you ever switching out for fly line? Right. Good, good question. Good question. So a lot of times I yeah. don't. But this year, mm-hmm. I've, I've hit a couple hatches that I really wanted to switch out. And so what I've started to do is I had a like a Berkeley trialene or like a Stren, like one of those old spools. Oh, gotcha. that are, I don't yeah. know, let's say they're like three inches oh, wide. Yeah. And so I just threw it in my vest. And if I wanted to switch out, I had a, like a standard dry fly leader on a little foam spool. And that one I could quickly just wrap onto a bigger spool. That's neat. Yeah, Bill, I remember you uh, texting me earlier this year during one of the hatches and saying how you'd kind of been pleasantly surprised by the the dry yeah. fly presentation you were able to get on the mono rig yeah and before i had that nice little spool i used the fly box and that was not mm. i just had a fly oh. box that i knew that i wasn't yeah. going to use because i had a hatch and i just mm. wrapped that mono leader around it because i didn't have something to put it on and got back to the car and got something better but yeah that efficiency is important right and yeah, I do similar things. I keep old spool, old chameleon spools to hold leaders on. And I also use, like you're saying, the foam loon rigging spools for kind of tippets and cider sections and stuff like that. Yeah. But it takes a lot, takes a lot for me to switch because like Trevor was saying, like this year I was, I started using that 30 pound or the Maxima. I felt like there was a big difference in the ability to use a dry fly with it. That's big. Yeah. yeah. Right. At short distance, you can do it. We'll talk about that. Hey, so let's dig into the styles a little bit, right? Um, it, for me, it all starts, I think for anybody, it really should start with tight line nymphing. Uh, tight line nymphing is really the base of all of this. Uh, when I teach mono rig tactics, I encourage anglers to learn tight line nymphing first at close range in broken water. 
um, close, I should say, is, oh, let's say within 25 feet. And so fish close, learn what contact is, contact on your sighter, I mean, learn to read that contact, gain control of the nymphs and the whole rig. Then with that confidence, you can get into the other styles, but it starts with tight line nymphing. Uh, let's start with this, guys. I mean, uh, where do you have the weight in your system? Where do you put the weight? Yeah, so I know in classic Euronymphing, a lot of the weight's built into the flies themselves. And and that's certainly, you know, a good majority of the time my flies have a bead head, whether that be tungsten or brass. But I'm I'm really not shy to use split shot. And I think I've just been a i've always ascribed to dialing in the weight specifically being more important than keeping my line free of split shot and so if it requires if a particular fly that i want to fish requires some split shot i like that and i'm okay with it and there's even times where i feel like an unweighted fly with split shot fishes more Mm -hmm. naturally the weight's always within the last six inches of my Mm. lead fly but sometimes that's also on the tippet between my lead fly and sure. my tag fly. That was an interesting point, Trevor. Why do you think that? Why do you think that sometimes uh, unweighted fly fishes more naturally there with split go. shot, five yeah, six uh, inches in front of it? That's a good question. Yeah, so I think that there are certain types of flies that mimic certain types of food for the fish. That when they're weighted down so heavily and they fish like a heavily weighted fly is not going to respond to subtleties in a current right that's a good and point. yet a very unweight an unweighted fly with split shot attached at a certain di- length from it may appear to have a more lifelike presentation within the current yeah. and so i just think that 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 sometimes matters sometimes it doesn't but i think it does oh, i'm with sometimes. you on that and uh, i have a well there's a leaf in my fly box that has all unweighted flies or very very lightly weighted flies same concept is what you're saying. Um, there's a downside of split shot, and that's that it puts you out of touch with yeah. the fly because you are really in touch with the heaviest thing on your line. You throw split shot on, it's probably the heaviest thing on your line. But that's also the upside of split shot is now you're in touch with the split shot, and like Trevor, you're saying that yeah. uh, the unweighted fly has, let's say, five inches, six inches, wherever, of grace to move as the current yep. wants it to can look more natural. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I, I'm team anti-split shot. Yeah, I know. I, that's right. I, so your weight, don't like the it. weight in your system yeah. is always in your flies. You're saying, yeah, I always like, so the, the primary weight is the, the la the, what do we call it? The, point the bottom fly, fly yeah. or the point fly yeah. lead. That's, point that's fly. where, um, all my weight is. And then I'm, Unless I'm fishing super high water, that's where all the weight is. And then the the tag fly is just something small and light. Yeah. And so mm. I just, the, every time I feel like a fish split shot, you catch that five or six inch fish and he starts flopping and that thing, that split shot just turns into a boomerang. That's true. That's because of how you, just, no, no, no. That's I because know. of how you fight yeah. fish. You just get, you just aerialize them and bring yeah. them in. Yeah. Seriously, I, I, you keep them under the water, that one. The little ones are the worst for that. Just, yeah. You just want to show them off and, uh, you yeah. know, get well, them to jump. Get here, buddy. Yep. I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, do you ever put, Bill, do you ever put the heavier weight on the tag? 
I tried it. I don't like it because then you, you, your strike detection on that point fly is pretty much gone. I'm with you on that. Like if you mm-hmm. think about, yep. like I'm holding up my hands now, but if you think about that fish that eats that top fly yeah, in the mm-hmm. pivot point of that bottom fly mm-hmm. yeah. is let's say you have a 12 inch leader, that fish can run in a circle and you'll never feel, <laughs> never feel 12 that inch fish radius. Eat it. Yeah, yeah. You got 20, 20 inches plus a knot in there to break up the, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah some quick math there darling <laughs> yeah <laughs> listen to this guy. hey all right so another point when we say uh tight line or contact nymphing that doesn't mean we're necessarily always in touch like the whole time it just means we're using a rig that is designed for contact designed to be in touch with the flies at any moment that we choose and honestly like the magic of it all is being Slightly in touch, slightly out of touch. In touch, out of touch. And if and when you really learn to ride that line, if you're nymphing, let let that fly drop slightly out of touch, but knowing exactly where your contact is, letting it drop. And when it's dropped into the strike zone, then we kind of lead it through. So there's a drop, and then there's a lead. There's a free fall, and then there's a drift. And the point is, we're not always in touch. Tight line nymphing doesn't always mean tight, tight, tight to the flies. The trip we had last week and we were working with the guys, I was trying to explain, like, if you can put just a ever so subtle amount of slack in your cider, yes. it when a, when a fish or a rock hits it, that cider will jump a lot more and it will be a better strike indicator because mm. it has that slack. And so when it hits something, it, it reacts better. I hear that yeah. too. Versus if it's, you know, if you have it, yeah, you may not feel it as 45. See it. Mm, yeah. That's a cool point, Josh. If you're super in touch and sometimes I, uh, lots of times I overweight. So I will have mm-hmm. that extra contact, yeah. that extra feel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something I think is a really common, um, maybe mystery to people is how mm. i think you have an article tight all not all that tight or not too tight because the the name itself is kind of confusing well tight line nymphing that's that means i have to be a straight line to my flies the whole time but i know from my guiding trips one of the uh, top things i always um, stress is that line recovery um you know, some guys will cast mm-hmm. straight in with a tight line some will cast in with a ton of slack and won't have it recovered till the drift is over um, yeah. you know, getting that slack management and line management correct is, is all it comes down to. Now, sort of implicit within what you're talking about is probably dialing in a particular weight that fits the current you're fishing, right? Because if you, to be not fully in touch with the flies that you're fishing or to be able to be kind of in and out of touch, if you have a, a fly that's way overweighted for the current you're fishing, that thing's on the bottom in two For seconds, sure. right? It's all it's all you can't get out of there. And all relative. So how, yeah. So how much how much dialing in of weight do you guys do? And if you're not doing it with split shot, are you do are you changing fly weights? Yeah, I think well one thing I also think about a lot, and this isn't ignoring your point, but is the angle of the cider and angle of the flies as they enter the water. So sure. I may be dialing mm-hmm. in a certain weight, but I also might be dialing in a certain angle to my cider. Um, and that's something I, I almost concentrate, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I find that's my first go-to before changing weights is changing angles. Oh yeah. Cause there's so many different ways to get deeper. Everybody thinks like, oh, I got to get deeper. So I'm going to add weight. 
I mean, there's so yeah. many different ways. Get everything in one well, scene. Think about, you yeah. know, that's a great way and, to get deeper. Yeah. You know, your the angle of your cider is going to. I mean, that puts more or less line under the water, yeah. right? And more or less line under the water. That's more drag on that particular amount of line. That's pulling that particular fly. So I, I think that you're what you're saying is is exactly what I'm talking about. Cool. It's dialing in that way. Some days they may prefer a, yeah. a lighter weighted fly, and you know you'll get to that eventually. But that's definitely my first uh, first tactic. I, I probably fish heavier flies than most. Yeah, I, I know I, you. Do. I, you also fish stiffer tippet than most. So those those yeah. those two things will kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. mostly at three X. Right, and boy, m- m- a lot of people are going to hear that and go, "What three X yeah. nymphing? What?" But look at this <laughs> guy's I'm Instagram you, page I'm, and yeah. tell him it doesn't work. He's <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, Bill catches plenty of fish. Bill fish with him, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Gosh, I've never. I don't think any of us have ever outfished Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, you did this year, right? The yeah, one day I got skunked. Maybe. <laughs> that's the one right. day. That's Listen right. to this guy. Yeah. It was it, it was, was my birthday, okay? Cowboys I deserved yeah. it. I deserved that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. I I just I like that versatility to just instead of if I put 3 axes on and now I can switch to a streamer. Oh, I hear that and too. not have it break off and Yeah. That is a nice benefit. Bill, you and I were out this spring and and that exact issue came up where I had I think I had 4 or 5 axes on and switched over to streamers on the mono rig and set the hook too hard and broke off a good fish and, and yeah and what did uh, what i want you to repeat what you said like two days before that what did i, I remember i no. said man i just i never break off fish <laughs> oh no <laughs> i said you wait it's we'll a, see about that and then you know next yeah time. it's a terrible thing to say it is i deserved that <laughs> so hey let's move on to uh indicator nymphing or suspender nymphing right so once the tight line game is learned at close range, uh, once those skills are understood and under control, adding an indicator to a tight line rig is a deadly variation. And I've had people tell me, well, you can't do both things, uh, either your tight line nymphing or your indicator nymphing. But that's not true. Not at all. And that kind of shows a limited understanding of things. It, it fundamentally misses something that's very special. We add an indicator to this tight line rig that we're using i think we all add it below the cider so now it's you know right below the cider on our tippet section and it's slidable up and down um guys though when do you add an indicator to the rig for what reason why do you add an indie so so i'll correct you i add it on the cider do you well you're doing it wrong bill <laughs> I know. i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i do everything back i do that sometimes. that's right that's why I you're that here that's the only too. reason you're yeah. here just yeah, to I'm be just the contrarian. Yeah, I do too. Sometimes. I do that sometimes yeah. as well, but it's always yeah. low on the cider. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Tell, yeah. tell like, it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us why. So the, the cider is, mm, so I don't fish the rubber bands off of a thingamabobber like you do. Mm-hmm. That's all right. I fish just the uh, simple, normal way, thread it through and mm-hmm. go over the line. And so I think my cider's at like one or two X. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel more comfortable with that kind of creates the kink in the line i'd rather rather it be in the cider mm-hmm. and so i like it kind of there it's mostly in the last inch or two of the cider and so at that point it's it's on a thicker tippet but the majority of the line under the water is all the same yeah bill how long is your tippet section though most times not more than maybe three and a half feet to, from the from the yeah. cider to the bottom ply. That's sure. That makes sense then. Yeah. yeah. Dom, I think to answer your question, the majority of the time, 
when I'm fishing a bobber or an indicator. Um, it's 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 so that I can get more distance. It's so that I can get over water that is mm. going to disrupt my drift, or it's so that mm. right on. if I, if I can't wade into position to fish a spot that I think is yes. fishy, then I'm going to put on an indicator so that I can get far out and lift that line up and over that water. Um, so it extends your range. Yeah, but there mm-hmm. are times when it's not it's not only that. There are times when I'm just like, man, nothing's working. I'm going to try this. It's going to adjust my drift a little bit, and sometimes that's all it takes. I love it. Yeah, I fished. I yeah. fished up a uh, you know hundred yards of water, tight lining. I catch a couple fish, and I go, "Oh my! I should have caught more fish than that." Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot more fish. What can I do different? I literally will go back down to the bottom of that hundred yards and now throw the indie on, whether that's a Dorsey yarn indicator or a small thingamabobber. And all of a sudden, like you're saying, something changes. Yep, we'll talk about that some other time. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it's something to do differently. Yeah, I had the identical thing happen to me this weekend. Right Definitely on. Definitely true. I, I like the, the advantage of it is if you're fishing a uniform depth mm-hmm. section of river, you can pin it at that depth that you want that fly to sink at. Mm-hmm. You can throw it further. You can get a longer drift, and you can get a more consistent drift to tight line that indicator, and that fly is going to consistently track in that water column you want it to to do so yeah you just said to tight line that indicator and i i I think some people are not going to understand that what we're saying is the fly hits then the indie hits and then we want to keep everything up to that indicator off the water and what it's what i like to call the tight line advantage yes sometimes we'll lay a little bit of that cider on the water or, or whatever some of that leader but the ideal situation is that you just keep everything up off the water now you don't have to mend you don't have to deal mm-hmm. with any cross currents. Yeah, that's how it really ex- extends your range. Uh, I think uh, I think bobber fishing going right off of that is sometimes categorized as like a thoughtless method of fishing. But oh, there's yeah. so much more to it. Like we just said, you can right. tuck cast a bobber. You can take the slack oh, yeah. out of a bobber. You can land it tight. You can do all those things. It's not just mm. chuck and duck and hope something happens for you. Yep, not at all, sure. especially on this rig. If mm-hmm. I've tried to do it with a fly line and a nine foot leader and, you know, try to get the same positioning. But what we're saying, and this might be the most important thing in the podcast, honestly, um, we can get the fly to go into one seam and then kick that bobber over into the exact same seam. Even if we're not casting upstream, totally. but we're casting, we can do it casting directly across yeah. to the, to the bank. Yeah. And get yeah, that bobber, absolutely. bobber or indicate, however, whatever yep. your indie is yarn indie get the fly to go in dorsey yarn indicator kicks over into the exact same seam yep and if and in part and of that though critical. is how the leader is designed for sure but go ahead yeah and, and it's critical to get those two fly two things in the same seam yeah. because if they're in if they're in different seams it's a different speed and so you're going to lose your strike detection so then. so true yeah yeah, this stuff's so it's it's really just a deadly variation. So important. I do it w- when it's windy sometimes. Uh, like yeah. I, like Josh said, I do it when I can't wade into into great position to tight line nymph. Um, I, I I do it to ride at fixed depth, like uh, Bill was saying. And you know, sometimes I just do it to relax and to focus on something different. It can be harder in some ways uh, because you have to get everything done in the cast. Yeah. Um, right. All that alignment, like we're saying, that it's really, there's an aerial mend. Yep. Some, just like a dry no. fly. 
it's difficult. Very, very. It can, it can be somewhat or very difficult. Yeah, like just like a dry fly too. And it also needs to be a little slower because you have another fixed point with that bobber, like the cast. To me, things have to slow down a little bit. If you start to get too fast, you know, back and forth, uh, tendency of getting more tangles and messed up. Yeah, I hear that, especially if you have two flies below that indie. And if your indie is a hard indicator, like a thingamabobber. The, the the yarn, I feel like I can cast it just, just as hard as I want to because – well, we sure. could. We should really do a podcast on all these details. I would. I'd love it. Um, very, very similar is tightline dry dropper. Uh, it's very much an extension of the tightline to the indicator concept. Um, you guys do it a lot, I think, right? Yeah, boy, this is one of my favorite techniques and one that I really fell in love with a couple of years ago, fishing springtime around here on our streams and. And really loved the versatility of even taking my standard tight line to nymph rig and pulling the the nymph off my tag fly and mm. and applying a dry fly to that tag position and and fishing dry dropper from the tag. The level of control that gives you and the level of kind of flies in two different orientations in the water mm-hmm. and kind of the applications that that offers for fishing pre-hatch and hatch kind of conditions is just such a cool cool way to pick apart a stream especially mm. some of our smaller streams um yeah i'd say that's probably the for me right now that's probably the only version of the dry fly that i fish on the mono rig and that might be because mm. i'm not fishing all that often because of the stage of life and, and, and <laughs> you know with you know well, with yeah, three yeah. kids under three but, yeah. but seriously it's it's i remember times when that was extremely different when i was just fishing all the time that was no problem and i did it all the time but generally yeah. right now if i'm going to fish a dry fly usually there's a nymph under it to help me cast a little bit better dom i was going to ask you to to touch on the slipping contact uh tactic that you write about because that's something i like to do but i thought you could probably explain that pretty well now, do you mean slipping contact with the tightline dry dropper? Yeah. What I generally do with that tightline dry dropper, so we're, we're talking about having, again, that tightline advantage to the dry fly. So we are in touch with the dry without any line on the water. So the only thing that influences that dry fly is our connection to it. Um, that, yes, some surface current. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the nymph underneath. And where is that nymph? If the nymph gets down in the strike zone, which, you know, you can read about a lot on trout bitten. I talk about it a lot. That strike zone's going slower. It's, it's, it's near, very near the bottom, a cushion of the water. Nymph gets in there. It actually will slow the dry fly down. Same, it'll do the same thing with an indie. If you have this tight line advantage with all the line up. So this, I don't know, the slipping contact thing, I often will, oh, I, I think about it more, Austin, honestly, to... Just when I'm pure tight lining, yeah. I'm in contact. I'm out. I'm in and right. out. Exactly. But, but for me, how it applies to the dry dropper, lots of times. So what we're doing on this tight line dry dropper, this stuff's great because it's very. Uh, I think it's very technical. I, I think people love this. Uh, what we're doing is allowing that dry fly to suspend. Let's just say it's, let's just say it's thirty inches underneath. Suspend a number fourteen beadhead pheasant tail, yeah. and it's suspending it. And yet at some point, because I'll tie the dry fly off, like Trevor was saying, off of a tag, 
yep. almost always when I'm doing this. And so I'm, I'm allowing the dry fly to suspend it. That's great. And I'm tight to my dry. And then there will be points where I go, you know what? I want to, I want to kind of get in touch with that, with that, uh, number yeah. 14 pheasant tail a little bit and kind of lead it through. Cause I know it's going to touch if I don't. And now I'm in control or my rod tip is in control of that pheasant tail nice. and not so much the fly, not so much the dry fly. And then, you know, maybe things flatten out a little bit or deepen up a bit. And then I go, okay, let the dry fly do the work again. Yeah. That's what I kind of call slip in contact. And we're talking about that. inches, mm. you know, I mean, because your tag oh, is only right. what? Yeah. Five inches. Yeah. Something like yeah, that with yeah. the dry fly. And so you're talking about, when that's added to an angle, you're talking about only three inches of lifting that rod and then you're in contact and then you're back out yes. of contact. It's so fun. Uh, that's what I mean. It's, it's that's, real precise yeah, stuff yeah. and you know, yeah, it is, but that's the fun of it. That's why we go out there every day. That's what keeps us motivated again. Like we said earlier to learn the next thing and to work on it. I, I really, and I'll be the weirdo again. I really don't like that tag end dry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like the if I like it all in a pretty little line of uh you know drop you know tip it to dry fly tie off the bend of the dry mm-hmm. fly and that's your nymph and most times I'm only fishing that dropper any any more the, the more I fish that rig of dry dropper the more I see it is probably the worst rig to detect strikes because it's hard to get that weight just right where the dry fly is in contact with the nymph because if you're if you fish a lighter dropper the fly could be again in different seams and you could have less of a chance of detecting that strike and so sometimes it's like a balancing act between do i want to sink the dry fly do i want it to be just enough weight where it's like starting to sink the dry fly but it's 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 a balancing act oh i I like what you say there a balancing act for sure it is so when most people think of dry dropper they're going to say well i'm going to throw my uh my my big stimulator on your big stone fly foam hopper or something on um and then i'm just yeah i'm gonna throw whatever i want underneath no no what you just said bill Hmm. to me is also important um i'm gonna i said beadhead pheasant tail 14 so often uh the way i tie my uh my for number 14 clink hammers or my number 14 parachute atoms, I know because they're from my box that the, those two will float very well together. You said about your dry fly going under, I never really want my dry fly to go under unless uh, fish eats the nymph and then boom, goes under. I do like it to be, yeah, right. I do like it to be right on the edge of going under. And so anyway, you do have to find that that balance. There has to be, if, if, well, if there's not enough weight, then there's too much air resistance in the dry. And if there's too much air resistance in the dry, everything doesn't want to turn over. There has to be that balance. For me, though, Trevor said this is too. It's like it it really is. It's my favorite way to fish a tight line rig. It has become that. Mm. You can have such amazing control over your dry fly. I I will fit. I don't fish it to get all the way down. I don't fish it when I'm obsessed about getting great strike zone rides. I fish it when I believe or i know that trout are coming up through the water column they're interested in perhaps emerging insects or for whatever mm-hmm. reason they're coming absolutely yeah. yeah for whatever reason they're coming out of the strike zone they're willing to eat above them and then oh, because this is also a fixed line system yeah I, I also set up a slidable dry dropper that's another conversation for the most part i stick with kind of a fixed length and i I'm experiencing, you know, on, on the water. Hey, they're coming up. Hey, they'll they'll come. They keep eating my tags. So then, and oh, and now I see risers too. 
it's just a for me it's a beautiful way to fish yeah and i think it it expands out that time frame that you can fish in that exciting way from like when you're a lot of our hatches that occur at particular times a day if you're fishing mm. purely dry fly two hours before that really top water hatch begins you might not get a lot of action on your dry fly and yet if you're fishing that slot that dry dropper system you're really capitalizing on the momentum of that feeding frenzy and oh, yeah. as those fish are becoming more and more active higher in the in the water column you're really you're just you're expanding the number of hours that you're enjoying that intense action. Mm. It's just such an exciting way to fish. I think it's so darn exciting because you can, mm-hmm. when they eat that, that dry fly, it's like, I mean, you are in that, you are now in touch with your dry fly. Normally when they eat our dry fly, we have some slack or they, they probably wouldn't have eaten it. We have some slack up to the dry so it can get a real nice dead free drift. Not in this case. We are tight to the dry no and point. bang, they eat it. Yep. And as soon as a trout eats on the top, it almost always, boom, turns right down, right on. wants to go down. Oh, yep. And so there's, yeah. you have to give the fly, you don't really need a set almost, but you tighten up and then you have to give the trout um, some, not slack, mm. you have to give it a chance to get back down. And it's a very exhilarating uh, moment when they take that. That, that dry fly and it'll happen dozens of times a night you know if you if you have things going in an evening the right way i've done it recently on small streams and i've started mm-hmm. to use it more and more because small streams you have small quarters and when you use fly line that fly line has that sag and it wants to pull like you're in a tight quarter and it wants to pull that pull that nymph or that dry dropper yeah. back faster and so you're kind of sure. mending or managing that line and it makes it more tedious where if you have that mono rig it's not as heavy and it's easier to manage kind of the tracking or the you know the the line of the the flies coming back to you because you can just you know raise the rod a little bit retrieve it with your hand it's smoother and it happens Mm. in a slower because it's less weight yeah it sure is what you're saying is again that control we're taking that tight line advantage over to another tactic. In this case, the tight line dry dropper. The tight line advantage gives us that contact and that control. So instead of laying line on the water, we can be tight to that dry fly. And that's a very big deal, just like it's a very big deal to be tight to the indie or tight all the way directly to our nymph. Having these options, this versatility, uh, to me, is the way I like to fish. I know that's kind of what you're saying there too, Bill. And so we can take that same, that same uh, advantage, tight line advantage, then over to streamers. And uh, streamers on a monorig is really one of my favorite ways to fish too. When I started using this tight line concept with streamers, it just made sense. You have ultimate control over the depth, the angle, drop rate, speed, even the head angle, everything. I mean, we can make the streamer do whatever we want at any moment through the drift. Almost. I mean, because because we're not at the mercy of the fly line, what the fly line wants to do. Um, the streamer essentially follows the rod tip rather than the fly line. But also, if we want to lay line on the water and have the streamer follow a bow in the leader, we can do that too. How do you guys like to fish for streamers? Do you make? Let me ask. Do you make changes to the base mono rig that we've talked about? I personally don't change anything to my butt section or cider. The only thing I do is clip my tippet off and I have like an eight pound mono um, 
pre-rigged thing on a, a loon rigging film and I switched them out. Yeah. Other than that, uh, I don't have any problems with turnover. Um, Based on some experiences earlier this year, I do like to make sure my tippet is sufficient for the types of sets, hook sets that I want to make on a with a streamer. Um, when I'm casting a streamer on the mono rig, depending upon the streamer, I'm not always using the weight of the butt section to cast that streamer. I'm sometimes using the weight of the streamer to cast. Sure. Um, and so, you know, using like more of an oval cast yeah. and, you know, people can refer to the video that you put out on fishing streamers on the mono rig earlier yeah. this year on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but when I'm casting like that, I don't, I don't really care as much about my butt section as I do about the tippet I'm using, I guess. So that's the one thing I would switch out. So you go to what? 1X, 2X, OX? Yeah, yeah. OX to 2X. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Anybody yeah. else? You switch out, guys? Yeah, I switch out tippet, just like just like Trevor's saying. I when mm-hmm. I'm when I'm switching to streamers, I don't switch out my monorig very often. Mm-hmm. And I don't even carry Oda too. I just carry one, and that's what I switch out really? to when I when I make the yeah, switch. That's cool. Yeah. And Bill, you were yep. saying earlier that you just uh, you have three X because it'll kind of do everything for you as your terminal tippet. Uh huh. If I'm, I would say if I'm all in on the day and I'm throwing streamers, or if I've caught a couple of fish and I want, I'm, I I know I want to have extra confidence. I'll go to one X or ten pound ten pound fluoro. Right on. That's pretty much what I do too, and it also has. A lot to do with streamer size, like Trevor was saying. For me, uh, yeah, I'm on OX or 1X if I'm fishing uh, for a long length of time, bigger streamers. Because when I fish a big streamer, I almost always fish a small streamer up above it. That's just me. We'll talk about that some other time. And I want, yeah, I don't want to fish that on 4X or even 3X yeah. for, for extended periods of time. But what I do a lot lately is uh, I call it a crossover technique where it's, Oh, I'll, t- I'll take smallish streamers that are one and a half to maybe even two and a half inches long, but not much bigger. And I, I'll treat them like a nymph for a while, yep. for half the drift, let's say. Yeah, it's fun. And and then just sort of pulse them or jig them or or, or just half strip mm-hmm. them, you know, just two, three inch strips or something. Yep. Um, and then maybe even with those with that same setup, um, I'll, ca- I'll take the next cast straight to the bank and strip, strip, strip like you would a normal uh, stream. I don't want to say normal, but more standard, more common yeah. uh, streamer approach. And and so I do that perhaps by just cutting off my my point nymph and uh, throwing on that that smallish uh, streamer. It's a lot of fun, and that's that's a real quick way to do it. You know, we we spend so much time trying to get dead drifts, mm-hmm. whether it's on a dry fly, but it's, you know, on a nymph, dead drift, dead drift, dead drift. Try to perfect that. And then I love throwing on that little crossover streamer and just doing something different. Show them something yeah. different. If they rejected your perfect, you know, you're trying for a perfect dead drift, throw something like that on. That's what I work on yeah. a lot lately. I love fishing streamers that aren't much bigger than my biggest nymphs, you know. Mm-hmm. Where and, and let's say the standard streamer approach is you fish downstream and you cover a lot of water. And, and mm-hmm. I think what you're describing in the crossover technique is that you can, you can fish it very similarly to what you would. If you were nymphing all day, you fish upstream and you fish flies that aren't a whole lot bigger than your biggest nymphs that you might fish for the day. And you almost nymph them. You just give them a little bit of life. And it kind of incorporates right some freedom into that. The rigidness of dead drift, dead drift, dead drift. You get to say, I don't have to do that with this fly. 
with this fly. Yeah, that's perfect. This fly's got legs. Yeah. This fly's got fins. This, <laughs> you know, this fly I can give a little mm-hmm. bit of life to. That uh, I agree with that. I kind of uh, subscribe to the low and slow method as my preferred streamer uh, kind of go-to. Um, nice. And one thing that the mono rig does is allow me to hold and pause and, uh, um, you know, stall my flies out in one specific area that may be across stream mm-hmm. or, you know, like one thing I love to do is after high water is go out and find those hard runs and fish the soft water on the backside between it and the bank and just hold those mm-hmm. uh, streamers in that soft water between the bank and the hard runs. And if you were to throw a fly line across that without throwing some sort of dramatic downstream mend, yeah. It's going to get ripped out right away. And even so, sure. you'll get like two seconds of look. With the with the monorig, you're able to maximize the amount of time that the uh, fly is drifting with the same parallel line as the yeah. bank. And that's something yeah. I think about. That's sweet. That's huge, huge. And you're in contact the whole time. Right. Where fly line, those mends and those things cost you contact. Mm-hmm. And then they, the fish eats mm-hmm. right as you start to mend. For sure. Yeah, you miss yeah. them. You're done. But do you guys fish... It, like the big Josh talked about the bigger streamers. If I fish bigger streamers, I still like to present them upstream and retrieve mm-hmm. them back to me. Yeah, I still do that upstream and across forty five. Maybe yeah. it's standard, whatever for me forty five. Yeah, and Josh was saying like fish downstream, and as soon as he said it, I thought I wanted to kind of point that out too. For me, uh, yeah, I'll fish downstream because I want to cover a lot of water, and I'll let the river help me to walk or wade downstream, and yet. I still cast mostly either across or across and up, like you said, Bill. Mm. So to me, it's all about head position. It's about the head position of that streamer. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to do podcasts on streamers too. Because I I know we all fish streamers. We all love it. And there's so many cool things like that about like head position. Trout don't care what the head position of a uh, a nymph is. It's too small of a little creature there for them to say oh well, that head's faced upstream i'm not gonna eat it um but boy i think they really do care about the head position of a streamer for for a number of reasons but i'm gonna move us on here to, to dry flies on the mono rig um so i fished a mono rig for 10 years or more maybe um before i ever really gave this a chance uh and we're i'm talking about just just pure dries here no nymph no weight attached i i remember it was our friend sloop who gave me the idea and the confidence really to try it out. Uh, Sloop just clipped off the nymphs, uh, tied on a dry fly to the point, you know, and caught the rising trout in front of them. Uh, These days, I sometimes adapt the tippet section, change it up a little bit, uh, but plenty of times I do the same as Sloop did, and he probably, I'm sure he still does. Uh, I just clip, tie on a dry, and go, you know. And it's a great solution for short-range targets, and, and in some ways, the drift is better than it is with a fly line. Um, once again, you have less mass out there to be catching currents. Um, do you guys fish the monorig for dry as much? I have this year. I know early on the, the, the bluing olive hatch here. Yeah. Sometimes you get five minutes of good rising fish. Sometimes you get, you know, a couple fish here and there, or you're just, you know, fishing along and you might find a one tuck to the bank that's sipping olives and yeah. so um instead of switching that whole leader out i just cut it off and i'll tie an 18 olive on a on 3x and if you're presenting it hmm. fly first to that fish he never sees the 3x and so i i don't think there needs to be a big difference and i think that 3x gives you the ability to to push those dry flies even the smaller ones out a little further because it has a little more mass yeah 
I, I'll do it on 3X sometimes, but let's say I'm usually going 5X with my tippet, and I kind of like the little wave of the S-curves. I can still get them. I just kind of do a stop and drop, a standard fly line style cast, a little bit extra speed. Anyway, it gives me the same, because I don't really like to be tight as soon as it um, hits the water. To me, I guess that's the major point that I want to make. In all this, we've been talking about being tight to the flies. When I'm fishing dry flies on a mono rig, I still want S-curves. So I technically don't really want to be tight to my dry fly when I'm fishing it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of our smaller streams kind of highlight the advantages of the mono rig dry fly technique versus the, the drawbacks maybe of distance. Yeah. Um, I've really loved just kind of in in some complicated currents where you have fish rising across maybe two or three different types of currents i've really loved the ability to cast the monorig with the dry fly and and just see that that decreased impact of the current on mm. on my leader versus the the fly line and so i don't always set up specifically to be fishing a dry fly on the mono rig, but when yeah. the opportunity presents itself, um, I've really been pleasantly surprised more than once with the opportunities that it afforded me just because of that delicate presentation, the yeah. decreased drag, the ability to cast, and then when needed, lift that fly line or lift that, you know, butt section yeah. and leader off the water mm. to kind of reduce drag across a couple of complex currents. So yeah, I, I really love it, but I admit that I don't do it often. Right. I will say, I will point out, it's very similar to um, Tenkara. It really is. Mm. Uh, with yeah. The Tenkara concept is very similar to this. And when you're throwing a, a, a dry fly, what you were saying there, Trevor, you can lift that line off and almost be, well, mm. you can be in touch with your dry if you want to be. Although, yeah, you know, yeah. you're going to get some sag and some drag coming back and it's certain situations, hard to describe all that. But the downside, though, as you pointed out, is that we have uh, a limited range there. Boy, I, I mean, I'm not casting a dry fly on the mono rig, 45 feet, 40 feet even, pr probably. And I'm not going to cast the number 12 uh, humpy <laughs> or some other bushy fly, you know. It, it has to be streamlined. I, yeah, Bill. I like the book. I do. I like the bushy. That's because you're using three X though too. I use that three X. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. That's why Push I love it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bill and his slate Drake. I, we were out yeah. on yep. a stream earlier this year, <laughs> and man, you were fishing a size eight. I don't know what it's you a were sparrow. Fishing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Small bird. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we talked about the downside of the the length. Uh, you're not going to cast real far away. Um, but likewise, without a fly line, we don't have the option for sort of directional changes or the subtle curves at the end of the cast. I love casting dry flies. We all do. With fly line. With fly line. It gives you all these subtle variations you can do. It also gives you the distance. And that's what the fly line's made for. So, so we use it. I love fishing dries. Um, it suits the job. Um, but fishing dry flies on the mono rig is a great option for us uh, when we just want to quickly throw dries at a couple risers or pick apart a few places on the bank do something a little different for a second so guys let's talk about fly rods what, one more thing let's just the, the most common question I get about the mono rig is what fly rod to choose in so many in so many of the trout bitten articles uh, I've made my own preferences known I choose a versatile rod rather than a specialized rod 
so I can efficiently perform all the tactics we just discussed. I rarely choose what you call a Euro-nymphing rod or a specialized rod. Instead, my favorite rods are usually 10-foot four weights. And specifically, I love the Hardy Ultralight and the Orvis H3F. A lot of fantastic rods out there. My main point is that I like a very versatile tool. So each of you, what do you guys use these days? So I'm a, I'm a Thomas and Thomas guy. Ah, yeah, Roger Sunday on. <laughs> um, oh, right. Roger Sunday on. <laughs> I've been using the, the Contact 2 series, mm-hmm. and the 10-foot, 3-weight mm-hmm. is my go-to rod. Mm-hmm. I find that that really, really handles both a matched fly line as well as the mono rig really well. Nice. It has a lot of speed and recovery. Um, it very quickly dampens vibration. It's a responsive rod. It's sensitive, and yet it's got a really good backbone. And so I find that I can fight fight good fish and and land them quickly. I, I do have the contact to ten foot eight inch four weight as well. Yeah, and I do like that rod on in certain situations. Some bigger water, uh, I tend to favor it. But the t- the ten foot three weight is my go-to versatile all-around rod. Listen to this guy. He knows exactly why he likes his rods. Yeah. yeah. I, think talking, he wrote, I think he wrote this he's down He's talking somewhere. about dampening and speed and accuracy. Yeah. Every extra 20 feet of yeah. river length, I add two inches to my rod. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kidding. Uh, yes, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... So right now, I'm fishing a 10-foot four-weight Sagex, and I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's it's yeah. the nicest rod I've ever owned, but I'm going to make a case for for saying the rod that you should be fishing the mono rig on is the one that you currently own and fish most often. Oh, that's just fantastic. because because it's very recent that I've been able to start fishing higher end rods, and I've been fishing the mono rig mm-hmm. on low to mid range rods for very many years, mm-hmm. and it works great. Yeah, I did it for a decade. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, I fished. Yeah, I fished a Saint Croix Avid, which is you don't need the specialized yep. rod. You really don't. And that, that rod was an eight and a half foot five weight. Right. In some ways, it taught me things that I'm really glad that I, I still do. It taught yeah, me to stay close because it was eight and a half. Good point. And it taught me to use that I had, that I had power available. The trouble for me, the trouble for me uh, with, uh, with a two weight, for example, is they flex, a little, they flex a lot too much for me and there isn't enough power in those rods. I'm not saying power to land a fish. I'm talking about power. And it's not even that they can't turn over. I want them to turn it over faster. I want to have that option when I'm tuck casting with, with the Dorsey that I've attached and I have, you know, two number 14 nymphs on. I like power. I like power. I build it into the leader. I want it in the rod. I, I think that speed and the power yeah. is more, is, gives you way more accuracy. Agreed. Totally agree. When you when you have to, when you have to take the rod back and take a little nap before that rod loads, because <laughs> yeah. it's a... You know, ten and a half, eleven foot, two weight. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time for it to load, and I, I've adjust, you can adjust them short over time, but I just don't feel like it's as accurate. Yeah, and well, if you're fishing a size sixteen, a single size sixteen, it'd probably be fantastic. Again, that what you just said, the eleven foot two weight, is a very specialized tool, and that's not really what we're talking about here tonight. Mostly, we're talking about the versatility of the mono rig and all these things that we love to do with it. Austin, what's your go-to rod? Yeah, so I was, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of some of these points. I'm in the same camp as Josh. You don't need a high-end rod to do this. I yeah. fished a home, I, I built a rod and fished that forever, super heavy, super yeah. bad, but that's what 
I built the backbone of my Euro nymphing or tight line skills yeah. on. And again, Absolutely. some of those deficiencies carried over into to nicer rods. Having a nicer rod, though, I will say does help. Um, mm. One of the things that is most noticeable between a lower end rod versus a higher tier rod is that rod tip recovery. Um, when you make a cast and you watch the rod tip yeah, shake sure. and it's not done shaking until it's past you, that's mm-hmm. not really helpful. But when you no, make no. that uh, that cast and it stabilizes like so quickly, you've got a yeah. stable drift. And the, the better you can stabilize your cider and the faster you can stabilize your cider, you're better off in every every way. Control and contact comes quickly. So that's that's one thing mm-hmm. that um, I will point out. Right now I'm fishing a 10-foot-5 weight uh, H3. Um, I've always been a 10-foot-5 weight guy. Uh, I just like the yeah. little bit of extra uh, stiffness to them that uh, a oh, four-weight pff. just doesn't quite get for me. Yeah, it's the power. Yep. Yeah. To do all those different things we're talking about. and But Austin, do you feel like if you want to fish a single 16, just a size 16 beadhead pheasant tail, I mean, you know, mm. can you do that with your five weight? Yeah, I could. I know. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And you you can feel it, you know, the rod will flex enough for you. Right. Again, because of how the, how the way the, right. Well, the, the way the leader is built and how you cast it. Yep. Yeah. And, and I know you pointed that out earlier, but it is casting, not lobbing. And we have a oh, casting so stroke that is uh, formulated and not just straight over your head and dunk them in the water. It's not that we're not fishing that way. No, and you can, and you can catch plenty of fish that way. But right. Yeah, the way we're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, well, like Bill said, you keep the speed in there and the power, and that's really where you get accuracy. Accuracy, not just about where the fly goes, but where the tippet goes. Yeah. Wherever that tippet is, is so important. That's probably more important than where the fly goes. That's where it's going next. And the trajectory of it. Yes. The angle. The yeah. This. How steep is it going in? If we're talking about a nymph. Bill, uh, you're the last guy. What are you fishing with? So I fish two rods primarily. I fish the, I like the Scott Radiant, the 10 foot five yeah. for bigger waters. And I fish a 10 foot four H3. But I also fish a lot of the nine foot. I have a nine foot mm-hmm. four weight. That's a Cabela's LSI. That's a lower end rod. And I love that rod. And it's, it's fast. Like I always, you know, Joe could just give me a two by four with eyes on it because I want a <laughs> fast rod. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to wait for it to load. Yeah. Take it back. And it makes it so more versatile with streamers, with nymphs, with indicators to have the power to do that stuff. Yeah. I think that's great. So all of us, you know, when we talked about each style, when we talk about what we like best, when we talk about the rods that we're using, there's a lot of similarities, even in the butt sections and stuff like that, but there's differences, you know, and that's just within the five of us. So the standard monorig trout bitten style is a hybrid system for fishing every kind of fly and for doing almost anything you can do on a fly rod. But now with less sag, less drag, more contact, and therefore more control. Like Austin said, it's a casting system where the leader performs like a fly line and the monorig is simply an elegant way to fish with a fly rod. Uh, Sure, there are many ways to tie up a tight line rig Um, and even more ways to fish it. But if you build a rig for turnover, for power in the casting and options in the presentation, then you really have an extremely versatile tool in your hands. Uh, I know there's a lot more to say here, and maybe you have a lot of questions about all of this. So I invite you to check out the Monorig articles on Troutbitten. 
there are now hundreds of them. And, um, but please also get in touch if you have questions. Uh, likewise, if you, if you like to hear a topic covered on this podcast, uh, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Josh, will you read us out? Yeah, man. Remember, trailpitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. So dig in and check it out. Navigate through the menus and find what you like. Share it. Leave a comment. Use the search page if you're looking for something specific. Navigate by way the categories and tags, too. Thank you so much for listening. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. That really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. <laughs>